And now for something completely different. <laughs> Thank you to Jake, Sarah, Aria, and Colin for doing that beautiful video for us. And I'm really impressed that Aria stuck with it for as long as she did, huh? All right, it is a doozy of a gospel. So here we go. It's 2017. My husband and I are in the car driving down the highway towards what will end up being one of the most embarrassing moments of my life, but I don't know it yet. As we drive, we are trying to make a decision that is in reality very low stakes and doesn't matter that much, but feels extremely significant and difficult to decide. Oh, and I'm 20 weeks pregnant with our first child. Where are we going and what is the decision? We're on our way to our first ultrasound appointment and we are deciding whether or not to find out the sex of the baby. We decide we do want to find out. Here's our great woke reasoning. We want to be parents whose children are free to be themselves, free from gender stereotypes, which ask me sometime, by the way, how that's going. But anyways, we decide that the best way to break the power of gender norms would be to find out the sex in advance because it would make it a bigger deal if we were waiting, 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 and then announced it when they were born. It's like the most important thing about them when they're born. Whereas if we find out now, by the time they're born, the sex will be like old news, right? I don't know how sound that logic actually is, but we were, you know, young and clueless and very sure of ourselves. So we march in there. And when they ask us if we want to know the sex, we say yes. So I'm lying on the table. Andrew's right there beside me. We are staring as hard as we can at this fuzzy screen and we're getting our first look at our baby. They show us the head and the little nose, the backbone, feet with toes, a hand in their mouth. And they say, okay, let's find out what you're having. And they start to move the thing and I'm looking so hard at the screen and I'm trying to figure out what the heck I am looking at. And I'm trying so hard that I hardly hear them when they say, okay, look right here, see three little bumps, it's a girl. But for whatever reason, I only hear the first part. So I think to myself, three little bumps, three little bumps, three little bumps. And you know, I know like at least the basics of human anatomy. So I say three little bumps, ah, it's a boy. And they look at me like I'm crazy and they say, no, those are girl parts. It's a girl. And that is how we found out that Alice was on the way. So when I'm pregnant with baby two, I want something to be different. Or maybe I just hadn't recovered from my embarrassment with baby one. Or maybe we were just like too busy chasing around a toddler to make intentional decisions. But anyways, when the time came for the ultrasound with baby two, we weren't sure, but we thought maybe we didn't want to find out this time. Um, and I actually, I had to go to the ultrasound by myself because it was COVID. Um, and so at the appointment, they did not tell me the sex, but they instead, they wrote it down on a little card, which they folded up, stuck in a sealed envelope and gave to me to take home. What do you think happened? We never did look inside, actually. That envelope sat there on our kitchen counter for the next five months. And then baby two was born and placed on my chest and... Uh, I don't actually know if we remembered to ask what the sex was for like half an hour, definitely after I had said, please bring me the best and biggest French toast in Milwaukee. Because that's where, you know, my priorities lie. But that was how we met our cell. And that envelope just continued to sit there collecting dust. Do you already know where I'm going with this? <laughs> it's this. 
if you could know when your last day would be, would you want to know? If the date of your death was written on a little scrap of paper, folded up, placed in an envelope, and the envelope was sitting there on your kitchen counter, would you open it? And what if it wasn't just your last day, but everyone's last day, the last day for our whole world, would you open it then? The parts of this passage that grab my attention are these three moments of, well, they're moments of, of violence, really, and violation. The three metaphors Jesus uses are all very negative, right? Everything's great and a flood washes it all away. You're working in the house or the field and someone gets snatched away. You're asleep in your bed and your house gets broken into. Those are all kind of kind of violent, kind of personal attacks on, on our person, right? And so maybe, maybe the only good thing about this passage is that it is honest. Because this is how it goes, right? There we are, eating, drinking, living our lives, planning our futures, and, and just like that, bam. In an instant, all of it can be washed away. We know that. We've seen that. We've lived that. People get snatched away. We get left behind, sometimes with no warning. Uh, often on days that are so ordinary that it almost seems impossible to believe that they're no longer there. Like, surely they're just going to come walking back in the door any minute. We know that. We've seen that. We've lived that. Places that we think are safe turn out to be anything but. Boundaries get violated. We let our guard down, we get taken advantage of in the very place by the very people that we thought we could trust. We know that. We've seen that. We've lived that. And all of these things, like the metaphorical floods and losses and theft that happen in our lives, when they happen to us, it feels it feels so personal. It feels almost like an attack against us, like a vendetta, a punishment, or or maybe even a mistake, right? And and it's almost harder to believe. That actually, actually it has nothing to do with us. Um, it could happen to anyone. And, and this is just kind of how it goes. This is our fragile, uncertain, and mostly out of control life that we get here on earth. So religions, Christianity and all of them, they try to help us make sense of all of that. And that attempt to make sense of those things, it, it often trends one of two ways. Religion at its worst tries to give us this false sense of certainty and control. Like follow these steps and you're all set. Believe these things, all will be well. There's an explanation for this. There's a meaning for this. It's unfolding according to plan. Everything is under control. You can be certain of it. And if we live long enough and with eyes wide open enough, Eventually, of course, we realize that that is that's not the reality. So that's religion at its worst. Certainty and control propped up by illusions, false promises, and fueled usually by a healthy dose of denial. Religion at its best, though. Religion at its best tells the truth. It's honest about our world and our human condition and all the darkest places, but it doesn't stop there. Because religion at its best, it doesn't just tell us the truth about our uncertainty and our lack of control. It helps us make peace with our uncertainty and our lack of control. It reminds us that we're human. And this, this makes us flexible enough to like bend but not break. 
it, it makes us open enough to receive something new, which means open enough to become something new. It starts with serenity. But it doesn't stop there either, because religion at its best doesn't just remind us that we are human. It also reminds us that God is God. And that while what happened to us was not done on purpose, it can be used by God for a purpose. And that no matter what happens, we come from God and we will return to God. And every second in between, we are loved by God. And nothing, I mean nothing, can ever separate us from the love of God. That's religion at its best. And it gives us hope. And and I mean true hope. Because... Hope that isn't based in reality isn't really hope, right? So true hope, true hope recognizes the full extent of the pain, the grief, the fear, the fight, the darkness, all of it, and still says, you know what? Present powers are not ultimate powers. What is will not always be, and what will be eternally is love. It is a doozy of a passage. But do you know which verse comes right before this passage? Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. We often mistake this passage as a description of how God will implement the end times, right? We imagine it saying that when Jesus comes back, this is what it will look like. He'll come without warning. He'll use his power for destruction. He'll wipe out the world. He'll snatch some people away, abandon others, break in and steal what we thought was ours forever. But that's not a description of God. That's a description of life. That's not a description of heaven. That's a description of earth. That's not a description of what will happen. That is a description of what happens around us all the time and so i think i think jesus uses these like harsh and violent metaphors not to show us how god works but to say hey the brutal uncertainties of this world they are matched by the blessed uncertainties of god yes destruction can come upon you unexpectedly but so can good news yes yes pain can visit you irrationally and totally disproportionate to anything you might have done to like deserve it. But you know what else is irrational and disproportionate to our actions? God's grace. Yes, the trials of this life are persistent, but so are the blessings. So are the blessings. And no matter what happens, they will not pass away. (laughs) So (laughs) when Sal was about seven months old, and I, you know, I like finally got around to cleaning the house again. I refound that envelope and it was still unopened. So I ripped it open and I pulled out the little card and unfolded it. And there it was, just that one little word written in someone else's writing. Girl. Yeah, true. <laughs> true, at least for the moment. But also, you know, like how woefully incomplete at capturing the fullness of our cell, you know? It's Advent, friends. The countdown to Christmas has begun. May this church season, with its darkness and its yearning and its crazy harsh Bible readings, may it all actually create in us a space for honesty. A space that pushes back against the relentless positivity all around us. 
uh, pushes it back long enough for us to tell the truth about our lives, um, about how frightened we are and uncertain we are, about how little is in our control, about our fragile and destined to fail bodies and our equally fragile hearts. It's, it's our humanity. Uh, it's our humanity. But may all this honesty somehow miraculously actually make us more hopeful. Because in about 25 days from now, we're going to watch as God blesses our humanity by becoming human themselves. It's the fullness of God in human skin. It's heaven's inbreaking on earth. The Shekinah glory with us and in us and one of us. It will happen. It happened. It happens. And you know what? No note in an envelope could ever fully prepare us for the fullness of this holy mystery, you know? No way. So, my friends, not with certainty, but with uncertainty, this is the proper way to approach the manger. Here we go. It begins. O come, O come, Emmanuel.